John Lennox is the professor of mathematics at Oxford University. He's also a fellow in uh, the subject of the philosophy of science. And over this past week, he's been speaking at the Evangelist Conference, both in London and Manchester. And a journalist, Heather Tomlinson, uh, attended the London day, and she jotted down some of the points the Professor Lennox gave, ten quick responses to atheist claims. Uh, you can go and search for it online. It's, it's very good. So, for example, to the objection, faith is a delusion. I'd no more believe in God than I would in the Easter bunny, Father Christmas, or the flying spaghetti monster. This is what Prof- Professor Lennox said. These ideas have been made famous by people such as Professor Richard Dawkins. The only thing that they're good for is mockery, he says. Statements by scientists are not always statements of science. Stephen Hawking said, religion is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. I say, atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. Neither of those statements proves anything at all. They're all reversible. What lies behind all these delusion claims is the Freudian idea of wish fulfillment, that we believe what we hope to be true. This works brilliantly, provided there is no God. But if there is a God, then atheism is wish fulfillment. They're great responses. But the one that particularly drew my eye was the the tenth one. And here's the question. What is the evidence for God? Here's the question. What is the evidence for God? And uh, Professor John Lennox said this. You can debate the existence of God until the cows come home. It can be very interesting, especially when you go into detail and explore the subject in depth. But for an atheist, they might be missing the point or avoiding the real issue. Instead, he advises asking them the most important question. Here it is. Suppose I could give evidence for God. Would you be prepared right now to repent and trust Christ? That's a great question, isn't it? It's a searching question for non-Christians. Is the issue really a lack of evidence or just willful rejection? I mean, what if we could do a great miracle of healing today in this room, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you saw that, would you be willing today to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ? I've had people, I'm sure some of you might have had the same, who've said to you, well, if God did a miracle right in front of me now, I would believe. And the question is, is that really true? Is that really the case? Um, If we could give you evidence beyond reasonable doubt, would you become a Christian today if you're not a Christian? Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, and you'll find this on page 976 in the uh, Red Church Bibles, Matthew chapter 11 page 976. And as uh, Matt said earlier, we've just got to this point in the gospel as we're just working through it Sunday by Sunday. And we're going to read from verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed. 
because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is God's words. I want you to notice with me a few points this morning. Firstly, that some cities have uh, the privilege of greater revelation of God than other cities. So Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, these cities and towns around the Sea of Galilee, they witnessed Jesus doing incredible miracles in their communities. Uh, Jesus gives his own summary of it back in uh, verse 5 of this same chapter, if you look to the other column. This is the summary of it. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Can you imagine seeing those things? What, what if you'd actually seen those very things happen and there was no doubt they happened? Look at the list again. The blind receive sight. The lame start walking. Those who have leprosy are not only cured, but all the bits that kind of got damaged are restored and, and put back together brand new. The deaf hear and the dead raise. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have witnessed those with your own eyes? What, would it be unreasonable to have had this thought? God is at work amongst us. Would that be an unreasonable thought? Well, the people in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and uh, Capernaum, they'd seen all of this. They'd witnessed all the evidence of God at work in their cities through Jesus uh, performing these amazing miracles, but they still did not respond. These powerful, divine acts were evidence that God's kingdom had indeed come, and that Jesus was the king of that kingdom as he did these amazing miracles, but they refused to respond and their rejection of greater revelation of God brought Jesus to denounce these same cities as more culpable than other cities who had not known such things that's clear isn't it and as I've been studying this section this week I've been asking myself and thinking about this question what would Jesus say to the city of Edinburgh what would he say to our city? Last week, uh, we had two friends from America, and uh, we bumped into Paul James Griffiths as we were walking uh, on the, uh, the old town. And uh, Paul James Griffiths was about to start one of his 
uh, walking tours of the old town. He has the Christian Heritage Center that's based out of St. Columbus Free Church. And it's fascinating. He dresses up as St. Columbus and off you go. And he walks you around the streets and he shows you the buildings and the statues uh, we went into the Free Church College, the Edinburgh Theological Seminary. We had a look in their room. We saw the, um, uh, the, the, one of the, the covenants that they have there. And we, we, we walked around the place and he shared the story of what Christianity has done in this city and for this nation. And it's extraordinary. Uh, the idea that every child should get a free education, where did that idea come from? It was the Christian church. It, it goes back to John Knox, who not only preached the gospel of, uh, that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but he was totally committed to having not only a church in every community in Scotland, but a school that they may be able to learn to read so they can read their Bible. And take that forwards, it was Thomas Chalmers and other free church ministers who saw uh, the poverty of children and they set up the ragged schools to provide free education in this city. The free education movement started in this city out of Christian compassion and concern and on and on the stories go to see the way that brave covenanters, in a sense pioneered and championed forms of democracy that now shaped our political structures. Uh, Christians involved in um, uh, such as Simpson and Lister involved in medicine and science and advancing things that did great good in this city and in this nation. Walk around this city, you'll see statues, you'll see church buildings that remind us of the massive opportunities that this city has had to hear uh, the message of salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what has this city done with that knowledge. Uh, in 1910, over a hundred years ago, ministers were weeping at the thought that only 75% of the population were attending church. And now it's 5%. What would Jesus say to the city of Edinburgh? A city that really has turned its back on the message of the gospel and ignored the evidence of changed lives that has resulted in a changed society as the gospel powerfully worked in and through Christian people out. What would Jesus say, do you think, to us? What should be the response? What should have been the response to these towns and cities around the Sea of Galilee? Well, there it is in verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. They had greater revelation than other cities and yet they refused to repent. Now what is repentance? It's one of those religious words, isn't it? It means a radical change of direction of your life. It starts with the decision of the mind and it works its way out into your actions. Uh, so, uh, for example, if I decide I, I'm going to head to Glasgow, and so I go down to Haymarket here, and I get onto the train as I leave the station, I'm thinking, why am I leaving this beautiful city of Edinburgh? I love Edinburgh. What was I thinking? 
I need to turn around. I need to go back. So repentance starts in my head, doesn't it? It's a decision of my mind. I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to go in a different direction. But that repentance of my mind, if it means anything meaningful, has to turn into action. And so, so probably about Lynn Lithgow, I need to jump off the train and get onto the opposite platform and then sink back into my seat and think, thank goodness I'm going back to Edinburgh. That's repentance, isn't it? A radical change of my whole life. This has always been the application of the gospel. It was the application of Jesus' preaching. If you, if you look, uh, turn back, keep your finger in Matthew 11, but turn back a few pages to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. This is the record of Jesus beginning his ministry. John the Baptist is put in prison, verse 12, and then verse 17 it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. And so for Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, as they, as they witnessed the miracles of Jesus and the display of God's power uh, that was evident through his son, as Jesus was bringing in the kingdom, then what should have been their next thought as they witnessed the power of God amongst them? It should have been something like this. Where do I stand before this God? Where do I stand before him? And if we're honest with ourselves about that question today, uh, the answer is that we are people who are walking away from God. Our default setting is that as a society, we ignore God. We reject his word. We disobey his commands. When it suits us, we will take bits that we like. When it doesn't suit us, when it's not convenient, we would rather lie or steal or cheat or be unfaithful or lust or be unkind or be selfish. We prefer to sin when it pleases us. And the message of Jesus, God's son, to a rebellious world is this. Repent. Repent. Turn from your direction of sin and walking away from God. Turn from your sin and turn back to God. That's the message. It's not simply feeling bad when we occasionally are aware of the kind of the negative consequences of our sinful, selfish actions. It is a radical turning away from that life that says, I'm in charge, I'm going to do what pleases me. And it's a radical repentance that turns back to God, humbly acknowledging our sin and our wrongdoing and seeking his forgiveness. And my Christian friends, I should, you know, we should just note here that repentance was a key part of Jesus' message. Do we make that clear as we share something of the gospel with others? It's not merely, yeah, your life's okay, but it can be a lot better if you had Jesus. No, there's a radical call to repentance. And so Jesus denounces the cities who had received so much evidence of the power of God and yet had... Uh, and, and had heard the call to repent, but they had still not repented. Look at verse 21. 
Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? It would seem that that city had a very high view of themselves. They very much thought they were definitely on the way to heaven. Uh, Will you be lifted up to the skies, Jesus says? No. You will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Now, as I'm reading the Bible, I'm often wondering what sort of tone is, was being used when Jesus said this. And I don't think Jesus is saying this because he's angry or calling for vengeance against them. But instead, here is an expression of sad regret. It is a mournful cry. And my Christian friends, if you've been somebody who's tried to share something of your faith with others, if you've tried to share the gospel with others, and it's been met with indifference or rejection, and people say, would you stop talking about that? I want you to take comfort today that actually that's what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as he performed the miracles before them. You think to yourself, well, actually, if only I could do miracles, it would sort this all out. No, don't you believe it? Jesus did these miracles, and they still refused him yet. So I, I, I think you should take some comfort from that as you face indifference, rejection. But what did Jesus do with that rejection? Well, I think that as Jesus makes these statements, they are expressions of sad regret, but they're they're more than that. I think there's something in here to shock people. He's seeking to shock his hearers to a better response, to the response of repentance. Uh, We still get a slight feel of the shock with the naming of the city of Sodom. Uh, There are certain words and phrases in the English language uh, that come from this infamous city of Sodom when men wanted to sexually uh, assault visitors to their city. And in the time of Jesus, all three of these cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, they're all proverbial for uh, wicked heathen cities. To name these cities was to, to say, well, here, here's, here's heathen wicked cities, often denounced in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures. And yet, Jesus says this, and I think this is the shock to them, isn't it? This is the shock. Uh, these, if these notorious cities, Jesus says, had witnessed the miracles that I have done in, in your towns, they would have repented. You know, they would repent in the same way that we saw Nineveh repent uh, as a sort of a half-digested prophet called Jonah turned up uh, on the streets. They heard that God was going to judge the city and they humbled themselves. They put on sackcloth and ashes and they turned to God and asked for mercy and God delighted to show compassion and mercy. That's how uh, these other towns would have repented had they seen the same miracles. And as Jesus pronounces these woes upon the cities, he does so, I think, with the purpose to provoke them, yet to respond with repentance. Jesus still hasn't given up on these cities. 
come back next week and you're going to see Jesus, as it were, opening his hands and saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. What amazing grace to those who are hard-hearted and indifferent. Come to me. It was important that Jesus did this. There's a note of great urgency here as well, isn't there? Because the simple argument here is that greater revelation that refuses to repent is worthy of greater punishment. And that's what Jesus says in verse 22. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Verse 24. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. There's no doubt about it. The people of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon will be justly punished for their many sins on the day of judgment. But it will be more bearable for them on that day than for the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum who had the privilege of seeing the Savior. And yet, rejected him. They had received greater revelation, and yet their refusal to repent meant greater punishment. Now, why does this all matter to us today? Why does this matter to us today? Well, because today you have been reminded by the Lord Jesus through his words that there is a day of judgment. That's what Jesus says here, isn't it? There is a day of judgment. There's a day when we're going to be held accountable for our lives. A day when a holy God who must punish sin uh, will assess all that we have ever done, said, and thought. And I wonder even if we were assessed over this past month, uh, just the last 30 days, if we were assessed on the data of the last 30 days of what we had said done or thought would any of us be innocent and blameless today and yet actually what God is going to assess he's going to see our whole life nothing will be hidden from his eyes it'll be a judgment of not merely our public life but our private life and there's nobody here who's standing on their own record will be found innocent and blameless on that day of judgment There's only been one person who ever has lived a blameless life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He came into this world for this very reason, that he knew that we would be justly condemned. And yet he came willingly to go to the cross, to die in the place of sinners. He came to bear God's just punishment in the place of sinners so that all who will repent of their sin and put their trust in him will be pardoned, will be forgiven all of their sins. That's why he came. Have you done that? Have you done it? Have you repented? Have you put your trust in Jesus? 
I was reading this morning uh, from Daniel in the evening series. We are working through the book of Daniel. And uh, it says this in the book of Daniel. It paints this picture, this vision of the final day of judgment. Thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was as white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was, was uh, flowing, coming from the base of the throne. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. That's the record of our lives. It is a terrifying and awesome picture. And my point is, when it comes to your turn to stand before the throne room and the subject of the attention of the Ancient of Days, the Almighty God, is upon you, will you stand there forgiven or unforgiven? I wonder, on that day, will Jesus commend... Or denounce Edinburgh as a city? What do you think? Is there not a sense in which we are even more culpable than Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin? Um, They only saw a few of the miracles. (laughs) And the truth is that all over this city there are Bibles and New Testaments in hotel rooms, in every library, in every bookshop. They're freely available online where we can read not only of all the, uh, the, the accounts of the miracles that we have in the Scriptures, but also of all his teaching and of, of, of the, his life and his death upon the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. It's all there in all its fullness. And we're in a city that is full of reminders of our Christian heritage. A history that reminds us of the power of the gospel to transform lives and communities that shaped our whole society in ways that are so good. This is a city that's had preachers such as George Wishart, John Knox, the Covenanters, that has known great gospel preachers like George Whitfield, the Haldane brothers, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham where there are still many churches that preach the gospel today. Would, our, would you say that our city is more or less culpable than the cities that Jesus denounced in his day for their indifference to the gospel? What would you say? I mean, you could argue maybe that in the last two generations that there's a whole generation that's grown up completely ignorant of these things. And they don't know. And the challenge to us is actually we need to share the gospel. But my non-Christian friends who are here today, this could not be said of you, could it? Perhaps you've been coming now for weeks, months. Some of you may be coming for years. And you have heard about the Lord Jesus. You've heard this gospel many, many times. 
I want you to hear the warning of the Lord Jesus today if you stay as you are. I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. I cannot think of anything worse than standing before God on that day of judgment unforgiven in my sins. And with the knowledge that week after week I was introduced to Jesus and I kept saying, another day, another day. I'll not repent today. They'll be next year. To have rejected the offer of forgiveness. You know, the only thing that's unforgivable is to reject forgiveness. Why do you delay if you're here today and you've not repented of your sin? Why do you delay? Repent of your sin. Be real. Be honest before God. Humble yourself. It is humbling. It is humbling to recognize that some of the things I've done and said are wrong before Almighty God. I was wrong. Some people get stuck on that issue of pride. Oh, I had my reasons. You don't know the whole story. Repent. Turn to Christ. You can be forgiven today. You can know the joy and the peace and the confidence that that actually that day of judgment, there is nothing to fear. Through faith in Christ, you can be declared right before God today. If you're not sure what to do, come and speak to me. Come and speak to Matt or Liam or come and speak to one of the elders or speak to one of your Christian friends. But do not delay. I think these solemn warnings are here to turn you back to God. These solemn warnings are to turn us facing God and knowing the utter joy and delight of all that we have in Christ. Forgiveness of our sins, peace with God. Do you hear the call of Christ today? Come to me. To all the indifference, to all the hardness, he still extends his arms. Come to me. Will you come to him today? Come to Christ.